DJ PK, and we are joined now by Peter Baugh. Covers the Missouri Tigers for The Athletic. Peter, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. This gives me the chance to say, Eliah Drinkwitz. What do we know about the Missouri Tigers' new football coach, other than the fact that well, he's at Boise State for a couple of years, so he's been booed in the state of Utah before? Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty interesting guy. He's, he's young. Um, he's under 40 and is, is just kind of a – he doesn't have a ton of head coaching experience. Uh, the, aside from his one year at Appalachian State, the most recent head coaching experience he had was a middle school coach in 2005. So he's been mostly an assistant uh, and is kind of seen as an offensive-minded, offensive-minded guy. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's someone who's young, and Mizzou wanted someone who could excite the fan base. Uh, and he's done that so far. He's said all the right things and gotten people pretty excited in, in Columbia. Yeah, he's certainly intriguing. You know, he's got the uh, different name, 36 years old, uh, in Appalachian State. Where they go, like 12-1 and one last year? Uh, and this guy's thought of as an offensive wizard. Is that what it's going to take to get people excited? Because it looks like when you are doing what he's done or the coaching staff has done as far as recruits for next season – Looking like he's on the right trail. Yeah, he's gotten off to a really good start recruiting-wise. Uh, first off, he kind of – I mean, the the class of 2020 was always going to be – it was always going to struggle a little bit seeing as as um, kids decommit when, when there's a, a coaching change and you're not going to keep all of them. But he was able to, to hold on to some of the big ones, and he's also – gotten two good grad transfers in in um damon hazelton who's a receiver from virginia tech who was an all acc player the past two years and he also brought in a, a center who started three years at rutgers so he's he's gotten some good players that can make immediate impacts which mizzou desperately needs especially on the offensive line and at receiver so he's kind of addressed those positions of need and then he's also a good start recruiting the class of 2021 the current uh high school juniors um and got the third rated player in the state who Mizzou had been after for, for a number of years um, named Travion Ford, who's a four-star player. So he certainly is recruiting wise. Um, he's really made inroads in the state of Missouri, which is something that's essential for Missouri. And he's done it quickly. So we're going to have a quarterback battle right from the get go. Is this going to be a fair fight or do you already know how this is going to turn out? So this is, I think, going to be a little bit more of a fair fight. I think um, Sean Robinson feels like the front runner, um, seeing as he played at TCU. He has he has some real experience. Um, but I think Connor Basilak, who is a true freshman in twenty nine or twenty nineteen, yeah, he uh, he was he looked really good in the limited action he saw. He even started the last game of the season when Kelly Bryant was was out with an injury. Um, the big problem for him is that he's coming off an ACL tear that he suffered in that game against Arkansas. So that obviously puts him at a pretty significant, um, I guess, disadvantage. But I think that he's expected to be ready for preseason camp. Um, and he and Sean Robinson both will get a fair shot to, to show what they can do. Um, Sean Robinson's older. Um, he'll be a redshirt junior after sitting out last year as a transfer. He has starting experience from TCU where he showed kind of flashes of being a really good player, uh, but couldn't do it consistently and struggled with injuries. So he kind of, and I've written about this a little bit out the athletic, um, 
he he the year he took off last year when he had the red shirt because of NCAA rules, it was really good for him to kind of reset mentally and to kind of get his body back in, in good physical shape. So we'll see if he's that Mizzou's really, really excited about him, and we'll see kind of how he's able to do. But I, to answer your question, I think it's going to be a fair fight. I don't think that this is like they've already crowned Sean Robinson the, the starting quarterback, and they're kind of just saying it's going to be a competition to publicly. Like I think it'll be a, a pretty even – it'll be an even playing field. But you look at their depth chart, they don't have a lot of seniors on either side of the ball, do they? No, there are some positions that have have more than others. Um, The safeties, there's two senior safeties that are both really good players in Tyree Gillespie and Joshua Bledsoe. Um, But yeah, it's not a a senior-heavy roster. Both starting defensive ends are seniors. Um, But especially offensively, there's a lot of there's a lot of youth on the field. They'll have Damon Hazleton will be a senior, and he's probably going to be the number one receiver. Um, Larry Roundtree is a really good running back. He's a senior. Um, but there is some youth sprinkled in. So when you're breaking in a new quarterback, you want a running game. What is the running game going to look like? So the running game, I think, will actually be pretty good. Um, the question is if the line can block for them. Um, Mizzou has Larry Roundtree, who was a 1,000-yard rusher. He ran for over 1,200 yards, actually, his um, sophomore year. Um, he's going to be a senior. He kind of took a step back last year, again, partially because the passing game wasn't as good, um, so people were game-planning for him more, and partially because of the offensive line not producing very well. Um, but he's a he's a quality running back. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a shot at the, at the NFL. Um and then they have a guy named Tyler Beatty who is a really he's really dangerous both as a running back he's kind of a smaller speedier shiftier guy but he's really good um catching the ball too. He actually led the team in receptions last year which is both impressive on his end but also a little concerning about for Mizzou about their wide receiver depth if a running back is your the person who gets the most receiving most receptions. Uh but between those two though they should have some solid options at running back, and then they have a few other um, kind of reserved guys who can come in to, if those two need a rest. Now, I'm thinking between those two, I can make a case that that's 2,000 yards of rushing right there. Yeah, I think you could you could see that. I mean, that would take things going really, really well, but it's certainly possible. So the receiving core, as you point out, the leading uh, 32 catches for Beatty was tops on the team. Uh, nobody had 500 yards receiving. Uh, is there anyone who can change that, or is it receiving by committee and it's kind of a C-minus committee? So I think that by bringing in Drinkwitz knew the receiving situation as soon as he got um, to Columbia, and I think that's why he he brought in Damon Hazelton and went after him pretty hard. The graduate transfer from Virginia Tech, he he would have led Missouri. His numbers in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen would have led Missouri in multiple categories, including receiving yards and touchdowns, I believe. Um, and he missed three or four games with an injury, so he'll be someone who he should be able to contribute right away. Um, and will, I would expect, be the number one receiver. There are a few freshmen coming in um, that are really promising players. There's a four-star recruit from Oklahoma named Javion Hester um, who could who could 
do that. I don't know if he'll be like a 1,000-yard receiver, but he's someone who can pick up a few hundred yards over the course of the season. And if you have a solidified number one, like they're hoping Hazleton will be, then you can – then you'll have your second your secondary guys will have more opportunities because defenses will be focused more on Hazleton. So then someone like Jalen Knox, who had a good freshman year but kind of took a step back as a sophomore, he could have a good junior year. Um, so Hazleton's the main guy. And then there are a few others who I think could do a little better. And then you'll suddenly have more receivers that are, are over like three or 400 yards. And hopefully for Missouri, one who's up to like 800, 900, even 1,000 yards. You mentioned the seniors up front and in the back at defense. Uh, can I argue that Bolton, that linebacker, is the best playmaker? Oh, certainly. He he's probably if you're looking at at the team, he's probably the best player on the team. He is a an all SEC linebacker who led the conference in tackles going into the national title game. Um, then an LSU guy passed him, but remember they had uh, Mizzou played twelve games. LSU played what fifteen? I think yeah, yeah fifteen games. So. He is a he is a really good player that Missouri Barry Odom, the coach who was before Drinkwitz, he he found him in Texas. He was an under recruited player, um, and, and he he is very very good. He he makes all the right plays. He's smart. He tackles well, um, and he had a few interceptions last year. So I think he'll be he's he's certainly if he's healthy, he's the best player on the roster. I would argue. Peter Baugh joining us, covers the Missouri Tigers for The Athletic. So is there much, uh, I don't know, momentum, energy, enthusiasm? And this game will be at BYU. Missouri's at BYU. But I'm still just kind of curious about the energy around the program because it just seems like there have been a lot of 500-ish seasons. And the move to the SEC is great for the money, but... uh, after a, after a couple trips to the title game early, it just kind of seems blah. Yeah, I think that it's, it kind of stagnated under Barry Odom, which is part of the reason athletic director Jim Stark made a change. Um, they, they had an opportunity to have some really good years. Um, the 2018 team comes to mind. That, that team had some really promising players, Drew Locke, the Denver Broncos quarterback was starting and they blew a few close games. And instead of winning say nine or 10 games, they won eight. Um, And it's just not the same thing to like get fans excited. Um, So I think they are looking for excitement and drink what's is young and energetic. And I think part of the reason they made the coaching change was so that they could have someone like him. And the fact of the matter is that a place like Missouri, it's maybe not like Georgia where they'll sell out, the games no matter how good the team is if the teams are good missouri will get fans and people will be excited if the teams are meh some people show up some won't and if the teams are bad not a ton of people will show up so if if Drinkwitz is able to come in and have some success there is an opportunity to kind of build that excitement back up and i think the athletic department's counting on that um jim stirk the the person who who hired Drinkwitz, is he has a lot riding on this hire seeing as barry odom was he he wasn't a he didn't have a bad track record at Missouri. He didn't have a losing season the past three years. So it was it was kind of a risky move to move on from him. And they need the replacement to to not only win games but also to spark excitement and get fans in the, in seats if fans are allowed to be in seats, of course. And and that very way 
very well may happen, but I don't know that I necessarily see it happening this season, this upcoming season, because as I handicap the SEC East, uh, I'm thinking that the best I can come up with is Missouri at fifth place. Yeah, I think that clearly Georgia and Florida are ahead. Um, I think Tennessee and Kentucky probably are. You could maybe – see, if you steal a game or two, then – who knows? Like it's those teams probably have more talent. Missouri has a a favorable, I guess, crossover schedule where they play only Mississippi State and Arkansas. Um, so there's there are chances for Missouri to to kind of steal games and maybe finish with a better conference record. But yeah, I'd probably if I was guessing today, I'd predict them fifth. I've said that with their non-conference schedule being manageable, I think they can win six games and, and get to a bowl game, which I think would be a productive start. And then maybe Drinkwood starts getting his own guys, building his own recruiting base. Um, and you go from there. But I think, yeah, Georgia, Florida are clearly better. Tennessee um, is talented. I'm still not a hundred percent sold on Tennessee because they always seem to underperform, but Jeremy Pruitt really seems to have things rolling there. Um, Kentucky's always solid. I think Mizzou could beat them, but that's always a good team. Um, South Carolina is going to be pretty solid. Uh, the only team I think Mizzou knows it can be better than is is Vanderbilt. So I would predict somewhere in the four to six, uh, four to six range um, within the SEC East. When you say the non-conference schedule is manageable, Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, and the University of Louisiana, Raging Cajuns all at home, and then at BYU, so you're thinking 3-1 and one or 4-0? Oh? Um, I said that I think they'll, they'll probably drop one. I think the UCA and Eastern Michigan are both games that Missouri should win pretty easily, and if they don't, that's a problem. I think Louisiana was a 10-win team last year uh, in the Sun Belt, so that's a solid program. And then BYU is a solid team in Provo. Going out to Provo, that's not an easy place to play necessarily. Um, so I think that Missouri, I would argue Missouri should go 4-0, but I think that they might go 3-1 and just because they might drop a game uh, to either Louisiana or BYU. Well, Peter, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and uh, look forward to uh, talking when the season gets going. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Peter Baum, Missouri Tigers writer for The Athletic, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, we always talk about, uh, you know, teams have labels. You're an SEC team. You're a Power 5 team. But Missouri, new coach, new quarterback. They have to travel to Provo. And it's some some games look easier on paper than others, and this one looks easier than a bunch of other games on the schedule. For Missouri, wow, you're really down on the Cougars, huh? No, that is not the point. <laughs> the point is this looks easier for BYU. Missouri's got a new coach. They got a quarterback battle. You're playing them October 10th. They are coming off six and six. They don't have a receiver who caught 500 yards worth of passes. This is they got a great running game, though. Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, they're, that's going to be their their strength. Uh, Roundtree's legit, and Beatty is a decent backup. So I like their running game. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with this new coach here. He he's moved around all the virtually two years is the longest place he's been, and he struck gold. And so sometimes you get these guys. You know, they in in the search for trying to strike it rich you see somebody who's hot but there's not really a big track record of being hot you know he had the one year 
last season, and they go in 12 and weight at 12 and one at Appalachian State, and 36 years old. It's a bold hire. I mean, I have no clue. I heard of the guy, but I'm not exactly uh, just running down Eli Drinkwitz here to see what he's doing from uh, week to week. I mean, I knew he did well record-wise last year, but I didn't pay much of attention. But it was a little bit of an eyebrow raise, but I have no idea how it's going to work. But then again, you know, you look at the Cougars, and uh, there were some games last year that they should have won, and they freaking blew it. You're beating Boise and SC. And who are some of the dogs they lost to? I tried to block that out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hawaii, Hi, South Toledo. Florida, and Toledo. There you go. Holy so, Toledo. That's, I don't that's, know what to think. Those three kept them from going 10-3. and three. Yeah, yeah, and that would have been a banner season, and they there would have been 100% heat off of Kalani and his staff. The one would have been, you go ten and three, and you're playing all these P five teams, and you beat, with your quarterback uh, coming back yeah. for his junior year, you'd be pumped. Haven't played three quarterbacks because of injuries, you would be pumped. Yeah, and so I can't say game X Y Z is going to be something that they should do well and win because they they, they blew games. They had leads in these games too. And the Hawaii game was just awful. I mean, they should have won that game ten times over, and they didn't. And so I don't know what to make of this team. Obviously, consistency is not something that they had when you're beating Boise and administering Boise's only loss, no less, and you're doing it with a third-team quarterback? Get out of town, man. There's no way I would have expected that, but yet they did that. Good on them. And the SC game was as thrilling as a home win as they've had in years. I mean, Boise obviously was a home game, too. Uh, didn't go down to overtime, and SC has a bigger name than Boise historically. And, you know, it was just as dramatic as can be. But then they they trip. So uh, I'm trying to guess what they got going on here. I don't know what they got going on. I, I, can't, I can't say, but I agree with you on principle that they should be able to get Missouri this year because old Eli, their new coach, you, you got to give them some time here. And I did go and look, and they are – They've got seven commits, and this Ford kid that uh, Ball spoke of is supposed to be all that, four stars, Trevian Ford. So, And they're recruiting heavily uh, out of the St. Louis area, which, you know, what's that, a couple hours away to the east? Obviously, Columbia is right in the middle of uh, KC and and, uh, St. Louis. They're halfway each way, each direction, west and east. So uh, St. Louis, you'd think they'd be able to hit hard, uh, and that bodes well for the future. But next season isn't the future. DJ and PK coming up. Antonio Pierce, Arizona State Associate Head Coach, Co-Defensive Coordinator, Linebacker Coach, Recruiting Coordinator, and Super Bowl Champion. He joins us next. Stay with us. And now, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yak on an adrenaline rush right there. Hit every button at the same time, Yak. Let's see what happens. What could go wrong? (laughs) Top overall pick Joe Burrow says he's in a holding pattern with regards to signing his rookie deal with the Bengals. We're just waiting to see what happens over the next three months because we don't really know, Burrow said, referencing the COVID-19 pandemic. Burrow's projected to receive a $23 million signing bonus when he signs his deal, according to SpotTrack.com. 
Chinese Basketball Association President Yao Ming says there are three options for the CBA to complete its season that's been on hold since February 1. Says the league might play out the full schedule, play a shortened season with some games dropped, or end the regular season and go straight to the playoffs. Attorneys for Zion Williamson's former marketing representative and her company want the New Orleans Pelicans working star to admit that his mom and stepfather demanded and received gifts, money, and other benefits from persons acting on behalf of Adidas and Nike, and also from people associated with Duke, trying to influence him to sign with the Blue Devils and wear Nike or Adidas products. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, we are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. We're going to talk with Antonio Pierce, Arizona State Associate Head Coach, Co-Defensive Coordinator here in just a moment. PK, first we can recap some of what we were talking about today, and we saw ultra-competitive MJ on the last dance. The Kerr punch story told by both of them and the... uh, uh, annihilation of other teammates in practice left no doubt. When in doubt, focus completely on winning. Feelings, apologies—that that can come later if necessary. You know, if we have time. Yeah, if that's the point uh, that you want to make friends, or do you want to win? Doesn't necessarily have to be between the two, but obviously MJ was choosing something there that uh, was going to work for him, and everybody was going to follow. And if you didn't follow, uh, you got run over, basically, and that's what he did. One of the things is this is focusing on MJ that I thought was just uh, repulsive and appalling is Scottie Pippen saying if he had to do it over again, he'd probably do the same thing, so he'd quit on the team a second time. Wake up, son. <laughs> that was that was the weirdest thing. Is it, it, you know, you know, he regrets it, but if he had it to do it over again, he wouldn't do anything different. You're like, that didn't even make sense. You're right. That doesn't even make sense. As a matter of fact, when he said it, the way he said it, he kind of wouldn't. I didn't pick up on it at first. And there was a commercial break not long after that. I was going through it, and there was the wouldn't. I said, wait, he said wouldn't? I didn't even catch it at first. And he did. I went back and listened to it. He did. But he started off with the the regrets part, and then he wouldn't do anything different. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a weird answer. Well, it was a dumb answer. It was not just weird. It was dumb. I mean, and Kukoc made the shot. So you'll win the ball That was a tough game. shot, too. Yeah. When you watch it, holy, he was, even to catch the pass, he wasn't open by much, and then he turns around and hits that contested thing. That was yeah, awesome. You know, it's, it's not about who deserves to take the shot. It's about who is in the best position to help you win. Nobody's bigger than the team. And Kukoc, being 6'11", was going to have a height advantage and probably a better outside shooter. Now, if there had been six, seven, eight seconds to go, that'd be another story. But there was less than two seconds to go, if you remember. So that 
that was just shocking that he quit on the team then and then all these years later believes he was justified in quitting on the team. Not good, man. And I know a lot of folks don't want to call him out because it's, uh, you know, for some media members, it's just not politically correct to go against somebody like Scottie Pippen. You, you, you got to toe the line or else you're viewed as, well, I can't say what you're viewed as, but we know it. So I thought that was stupid. But just the insight of uh, Jordan, uh, I like where he said win, and then he paused at any cost. That's what it boiled down to. How about Cartwright addressing the team and crying in the locker room afterwards? They have that great shot of him leaning against the wall like he was just heartbroken. It's like, that is not the look of a guy who played on the team on the team that just won on the shot at the buzzer. That should be the look of the guy from the team who lost on the shot at the buzzer. That behind-the-scenes stuff, even if we already know, you know, the score and the basic storyline, that's the stuff that I enjoy getting filled in here. Uh, yeah. If you're assuming that shot of him leaning on the stairs was after that game, I don't know that I necessarily assume that that's the case. I mean, they could put stuff in there. I don't know that every position or every pitcher and that they had was relative to the point that they were trying to make. But, uh, yeah, I think he understood the nature of what it takes to be a team. I mean, he wasn't a star. He was a nice player. Later a coach, I think, on the staff, too, if I remember correctly. I think so. And so he had the elder statesman. Um, vantage and the respect of having been in the league for a number of years and was viewed as uh, 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 someone who was upstanding, so he tried to counsel Pippen, and Pippen, Pippen didn't want to hear it. Good for him. Uh, Pippen, Pippen, to me, is a Hall of Famer and, and deserves it all, but I also thought that uh, he's also one of the most wildly overrated players. Do you think Steve Kerr, how much does because there's a whole thing... Um uh, going on on Twitter now about all the the money everybody made off of Jordan, right? I mean, he was no, just sure. so lucrative for everybody who was remotely yeah. in his orbit. Mm-hmm. And you think one of those, you know, you, you look at his teammates and you think, Steve Kerr, does he go to the Spurs and win titles there? Does he end up coaching the Warriors and winning titles there? How much did this change, not just winning the three titles, but how much did that change the trajectory of his career? Well, Ringo Kerr has been very fortunate, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> when in doubt, play with Duncan and MJ. <laughs> and Ron Harper's over there like, or play with Shaq and MJ, but either way, I get your point. Yeah, and they, but, you know, he, he's going to go down as uh, one of the most quotable players uh, when he played and one of the most quotable coaches, uh, unless it's something that maybe takes some money out of his pocket, but that's another story. We don't need to get into that that much. And he's going to go down having made that shot against the Jazz. Is he sitting on eight titles now? I think he won two with the Spurs, right? Eight rings. Phil's on 13. He's got a ways to go. How about that? Kerr's done a lot of winning, and he's still five rings behind Phil, who got two as a, two as a player and then 11 as a coach. That's a, that's a lot of winning. Uh, sure, sure, sure it is. Yeah, right there with uh, Albrecht and Bill Russell. 11 for Russell in 13 years. I just that's re- a serious one. I know, right? And I was just reading a thing on him last night that he was – I didn't know he was hurt one of those seasons. Well, no wonder they didn't win. Uh, yeah, I don't know the extent of the injury. I, I don't either. That. I don't even know what it was. First I 
first I saw of it, but the fact that he was injured, I don't even know which one of the two it was because there was one early in his career and then one late in his career. I think he it was won the, two in college or one? Two. He won yeah. two. One, That's a one, lot of winning, man. Yeah, one undefeated, I think, um, but two titles. Won That's the title his junior year and then undefeated his senior, I think. And he won one as a player coach, too, didn't he? Uh, two. His last two, two years, I think he was a player coach. But yet, after he retired, he went into some management and didn't have near the success. Yeah, he got run out of Sacramento right before I got hired there, and there were all kinds of stories about how not into it he was. And interesting, Jordan hasn't had any success as some form of a manager. Charlotte has not won a playoff series since they came back into the league. You know, the team moved to New Orleans, and there's yeah. a couple. It's kind of a Cleveland Browns scenario. They were out. I think the Browns were out for three years. I think they were out for two. And uh, they came back in, and they've only been to the playoffs three times. And they were swept twice and knocked out in seven the other time. Right, and Barkley talking about how their relationship has been uh, not destroyed yep. because he came out and said that MJ needs to stop hiring his friends. Well, what do you want from Barkley? No, he's a hell of an owner and a great GM, and, geez, they've, they're just awesome. I mean, Barkley wouldn't have a gig if he – Barkley just spoke the obvious, obvious truth overwhelmingly obvious truth, but he didn't want to hear it. Jordan didn't, and so he's going to hold it against him. So Barkley says a lot of things, and I usually don't take him that seriously because I think he likes to talk to get his name out there. He's, he's addicted to attention. But in this case, <laughs> he just said uh, the grass right. is green, the sun yep. rises in the east. I mean, he said something obvious, and you're going to hold it against him? I mean, come on. But I guess that's what made Jordan great as a player but it hasn't worked from the management side, and that's something yeah, maybe he can't control it as much as he could as a player, because you know they're they're just not they're not any good, and I don't see any hope. I don't follow them that closely, obviously, but I don't see any hope for them being any good anytime soon. Doesn't seem like it's going that way. They've had uh, it's, uh, they came back into the league in the 0405 season, so 15 years in the league, three playoff series, 0 and three. Yeah, and they just lost their best player to the Celtics, right? What's what's the kid's name? Kemba Walker. Yeah, Walker went over there and looked to me from a distance anyway. As I say, I'm not obsessing over Charlotte. I'm watching them twice. Uh, <laughs> once when the Jazz play them here and once when the Jazz play them there, and that is it. <laughs> Charlotte right now seven games out of a playoff spot. So looks like they're going to miss again this year regardless of how the NBA draws it up. Unless, unless they go to 10 versus 7 and 9 versus 8 and expand the playoffs. Uh, but, but aside from that, they're running 10th in the uh, East, so yeah, it's not changing. All right, so other stuff we have uh, talked about today. You, uh, we were talking about our ability to uh, watch however sports comes back, whatever it looks like, and we had some fans up on a Facebook page talking about, well, can you watch it if there's no fans there? It'll be kind of like watching a practice, right? There'll be no reaction, none of the noise we're used to. Some of them hit a big shot, but you know, what will you hear? And we're like, well, you kind of adapt to it. And you kind of test drove this theory, even though you didn't know we were going to talk about it on Monday. You test drove this theory on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I watched uh, Korean baseball. I thought I'd check it out. And the first time, it's weird. And they're playing in a nice stadium. It's not, you know, the size of Dodger Stadium or what have you. But it's probably, uh, well, it's bigger than, say, the B Stadium because they had outfield bleachers as opposed to a berm. And they didn't have anybody in there. Uh, and they didn't. They had some. They had uh, some cheerleaders, and they would cheer on a base hit, and they'd do a little coordinated dance. But other than that, 
You know, the, the dugouts look the same, and the umpires had the masks and the home plate umpire had the gloves and all that stuff, so they're taking all the necessary precautions. But I tune in to watch the game. I thought I'd check it out. And then Saturday night it came on, and I watched some of it again. And by the second night, all right, there's no fans there. I'm over it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what Korean baseball draws, but – the, the game looked like the game was being played the way the game is being played. It, the, you would, it would just look like it was an American, a major league game or a minor league game, whatever it might be. And so I got over it, and I'll get over it here, particularly because it, it's the situation that we have to deal with, man. We're in strange times. And so for the opportunity to watch real competition, I watched it. and I didn't know Matt Williams was managing. I learned that in – and the in the pitching, you know, they had the uh, the number on there. Uh, the, so guys weren't the times that I watched it. Guys weren't hitting over ninety. So pitching, and it stands to reason, if there's a pitcher on this planet who's good, uh, somebody, the Yankees or somebody's going to find them and bring them over, right? So you get where the pitching might be a little weaker uh, than it is in the major leagues because there's not that much good pitching to go around. It's like quarterback play. There's just not that many of them. So as far as no fans. I got over it real quick, and I'll get over it here, particularly, man, the NBA comes back. The NBA comes back, and they could put Charlotte and uh, Atlanta on, and I'm going to watch it. Uh, I don't know the term. <laughs> first game, if it's Charlotte and Atlanta is the first game that they televise, I'm going to watch it. You better believe I'm going to watch it because I'm starved for it. And, and, and it comes back. Now, they're probably not going to put those two teams, but the point being, I want it back so bad that I'm going to watch it even more. DJ and PK, it's time to talk a little Arizona State football now with Antonio Pierce, associate head coach, co-defensive coordinator. He's a linebackers coach and the recruiting coordinator, wearing a few hats, and yet he's still got a few minutes for us. Antonio, good morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm sorry about that. I had so many hats on. i got to make sure I keep up with my time. I need more watches than hats right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We appreciate you coming on. I'm curious, as a guy who uh, undrafted and you made it in the NFL and you're on a Super Bowl champ and you'll learn a lot of football, you'll watch a lot of film, you're working at it full time, now you go back to the college level and – the kids are obviously less mature. You're dealing with some of them are teenagers, and they got to go to class and they got to take tests. And who knows what girlfriend problem they're distracted with, or parents, or whatever. What's the transition been like back to college? Well, I think I was fortunate uh, prior to being uh, the linebacker coach here at ASU. I was the head coach at Long Beach Poly. So let's even take it back. I was dealing with kids coming from junior high to high school. <laughs> so a whole different maturity level there, you know what I mean? But um, it, it's been fun. I'll be honest, I, I got patience for it. And obviously when you've been at the highest level, you've been with you know elite talent, guys can do pretty much anything, and, and you can throw anything at them, they do it. Well, here you go back to you know day one. I call it football 101, and, and you just kind of dial things back. You, you spoon feed them. And I think the deal – with most high school kids that come to college is the maturity part, and you hit on it. You know, they go from being the man on campus in high school, the man in their area, to now they get humble pie. You know what I mean? A lot of them got to start at the bottom and the back of the line, and they work them up. But you keep building them up. You know, I think the best part of what we've done here at ASU is give uh, freshmen an opportunity to compete right away. We don't care about, you know, what star ranking you had or how many offers you had. When you come here, if you can play ball, you can compete. 
and you do what we ask, you got an opportunity. So I don't know if football media contact Mark Brand told you, but I went to ASU, graduate of ASU. Uh, I was there when Cush got carried off the field after he was fired in that game. I was in Pasadena when the greatest moment in Sun Devil history when they won the Super Bowl, or uh, Rose Bowl, I should say. So I go back, and I know that the Devils historically have had good skill position players, and even these last couple years here with uh, the receivers going in the first round. Uh, my thought for you, Antonio, is what What's it going to be like in the trenches? Because it seems like, as I look at particularly your defense this year, you got some good linebackers. You got the back end seems to be loaded. I'm wondering about up front. Yeah, you know, it's, we're transitioning from a three down to a four down, so that's that's something new. Uh, we've had some guys I think that's been talented enough uh, to play and, and produce. You know, Jermaine Lole is a guy who you know had an outstanding year last year, good freshman year, and, and bounced back last year with a really good year. You know, when he's moving inside, we had some guys that we red-shirted, like Amiri Johnson, a, a big kid who was 6'6". Um, hell, he was 215 when he got here, and he finished up being 260, you know, in the spring. And So, you know, th- th- it's not going to be as, as an experienced group as the back end, but we have talent there. And I think what we've done even better than that is put them in position now to what they do best. You know, not so much slanting and doing the other things, but – Allowing these big bodies to go vertical, you know, what I mean? really press the pocket back, and the penetrate what they do well, get off the block and, and be disruptive. So, um, I think that's going to have to tie in with the back end. You know, we got some good secondary players. The better they are in coverage, a little bit more time we got to rush the quarterback. So that should be beneficial for those guys. And we're going to be a little bit younger uh, in the front in the front four, but uh, I do think we have some talented guys coming in and some talented guys that redshirted. All the stats as far as uh, where you rank nationally in rushing, that improved a lot. You hadn't been better than 99 for years, and, and you got to uh, 39th in scoring defense. Uh, you didn't give up as many big plays. But when you say you're getting younger, is there going to be a step back before you go forward, or do you think you can keep improving in all these defensive categories? No, I think we'll keep improving because, you know, when you talk about the linebackers, and I started two freshmen two years ago. Well, now they're juniors. they got 26 games. Underneath their belt, Elijah Juarez, Kyle Soli, guys like that have played a lot of football. Um, and then on the back end. So we're, we're, used to, we're used to playing younger guys. Here's another thing that maybe we have mentioned or should talk about is that we had 11 freshmen in row early. I had two linebackers in row, in row early. We had two DBs in row early. We got two DBs coming in, um, our two defensive linemen coming in who are physically ready to play right now. So the, the biggest thing and the challenge for us as coaches is the learning curve. You know, speeding those guys up and feeding them information, um, I, I think we'll pick up. And then the good part about our team is we got a lot of guys who want to bring others along with them. You know, we don't have a lot of individual players who are all about themselves. They're about the team, that aspect of bringing along. They know we can have something special. We can really do it this year, especially with everything going on because we got seven practices in in the spring. And we just feel like, you know, the momentum is leading our way to finally make that next step. So everybody knows about Eno Benjamin. He was the ultimate workhorse for you guys the last couple of years, and he's gone in the NFL, going to be playing with the Cardinals this season. And, I, you know, as a, as a guy who went to ASU, I follow recruiting a little bit. So you got a, a running back out of uh, Akron, Ohio, and I'm expecting this guy, I think Trianum is how you say his name, I'm expecting to yeah. him for him to have the same impact for Sun Devil football that another guy had out of Akron, Ohio in the NBA. Is that accurate? 
Well, well, listen, if we have that, then we might be having some roses coming down out the sky on some petals. <laughs> but look, no, you know, those guys, you know, Diamante's a grown man. You know, when I first saw him, when he came on his visit, I was like, wow, this is a, a high school senior. I mean, you're talking about six, five, eleven, six foot compact, 230, 235, and runs like a madman. Um, he's going to bring a different mentality. You don't see that a lot on the West Coast, especially in the Pac-12. Uh, with uh, players of that physical demeanor coming into the program. And, and, and actually, early, he's going to compete. And then a guy like Daniel Degada, kid out of Folsom, who's played big-time football um, at that area, has been a champion. I think the biggest thing we've done in the last two classes is we brought in winners. Not just good football players, guys that have won at the high school level, guys who have been captains, leaders of their team. Um, that just makes our unit even better. That makes our group even stronger. And they're not scared of competition. So they're always going to push the envelope for the guys that's in front of them or that's been here prior. You know you cannot sleep. You can't miss a workout. You can't miss a day because there's somebody coming in to replace you. And that's what we're trying to, to, to set up here is that competitive advantage within the building. Arizona State Associate Head Coach and Co-Defensive Coordinator Antonio Pierce here talking a little uh, Sun Devil football. Do you feel like the recruiting both for your school individually and the conference as a group has changed? There have been all kinds of stories about schools, Alabama and Clemson and other schools coming in and taking kids off the West Coast and taking them back to the SEC, the Big Ten and the ACC. And now you're getting somebody out of Akron. It seems like more West Coast kids are staying home. Do you feel like it's changing both for you guys individually and the Pac-12 as a group? Yeah, I think so. I think just with, you know, when you watch college playoffs, you know, I mean, the four teams each and every year for some reason have come from, obviously, the SEC, and and you have a guys from the Big 12, uh, Big 10 maybe in there. Um, The Pac-12 has not been represented, and kids are noticing that. They want to they want to play in that in that January uh, playoff run, you know. And I get it. Listen, if, if you're a top recruit and you feel like you need to go elsewhere, then that's fine. But here goes the thing. And I always say, when you watch the draft, it's not about stars, not about rankings. It's about little Johnny. And I'm calling little Johnny just the regular football player that chops wood every day. That somebody overlooked. That didn't get the big time offers. And he's pissed off. <laughs> and he fights his way for the next four years. And then guess what happens in the month of April, May? He's one of the draft picks getting their names called by Roger Goodell. We want the guys that have a fire and a desire to want to be Sun Devils. We want guys that have the passion to want to work that don't live off of their uh, past accomplishments. And, again, sometimes you want to go a place and you want to go there and beat your head against the wall with the other five stars, and that's fine. We just want football players that are passionate and want to do it the way we want them to do it. Be on time, be early, you can exceed expectations. I think that's what we've done with the, the group that we've had here in two years. People look at our quarterback, Jaden Daniels, 6'4", 170 wet. Well, guess what? He was one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks in college football last year, in our opinion. You know, we think the future's brighter for him going forward. Uh, he's a kid that leads the building. You know, the first one in, last one to leave all the time. Those are the kind of guys you want. And guess what? He wasn't the top quarterback out of high school. He was a good one. He wasn't the top one. So as long as we get enough good football players with that mentality, we'll be just fine. 
And you guys really made an emphasis on recruiting in California. Your prior uh, administration there, coaching, had uh, really lacked in that area, and you guys picked up a bunch this past season. But i got, I got to be honest with you, as I look at it in-state, and, you know, I grew up down there, uh, I see that that's lacking already. The top two kids locally mm-hmm. uh, from Arizona have committed to Oregon. I I actually think kids want out because it's so blazing hot there and they're looking for something different. But what's it going to take for you guys to have success locally? Well, uh, you got to win. You got to win. It's not from love. It's not from a lack of recruiting, which is by far anything anybody can tell me. Um, we've loved them up. We've had most of those kids at plenty and multiple times on our campus in their games. Um, it, sometimes these kids want to get away. It's no different what you talked about when you talk about kids from California going to SEC. You got kids from uh, the state of Arizona want to go elsewhere. Uh, but I do think once we kind of hit that, that one year, we really knock it out the park, then they'll take notice. You know, I, I thought last year we did a really aggressive job um, of attacking the 21 and 22 class, trying to get ahead of the game, and really the 22 class offering over 15, 18 players in that group early on to get ahead of the game. Because when I first got here, all I heard was, well, ASU doesn't offer in-state guys. Okay, well, we offered a few. Then the next year we offered a little bit more. Then we went ahead and jumped up two years ahead of the game and got, and got into the mix first, being their first offer creating that, 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 that um, um, continuity and communication when you get them on campus, when they can come for games. So, um, you know, it's tough. You're never going to be right or wrong with in-state. I, I knew that when I was the head coach at Long Beach Poly, and I didn't have kids that went to USC and UCLA. They're like, well, why are they going elsewhere? Well, sometimes kids just want to get away. They don't want to be in the same neck of the woods that they've been their whole life. Man. They have that option. But the one thing about it is not a lack of effort from uh, ASU recruiting anybody locally. We reach out to them as much as we can, love them up along with the coaches and parents. And at the end of the day, this is the one time in their life they get to choose where they want to go. And they're choosing to go elsewhere, and it's fine. And as PK likes to point out, they might be choosing that they don't want 118-degree temperatures anymore. We're not going to talk about that quite yet. That, that's, <laughs> that, that's, 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 a, that's a negative recruiting versus an issue. But this is what I think. This is what I tell those guys that, that say that. It's three months out the year. We don't do that during the football season. Our hottest game since I've been here was 108, and that was against Michigan State. <laughs> Our second game here. Other than that, it's 90. It's football weather. The grass is green. The sun is out. You can work year-round. I know a lot of places, and I use Diamante, for example, from Ohio. He said, Coach, I never had spring football. I said, what you mean? He said, it's snowing. We don't go outside. <laughs> we, don't, we don't go on the grass. We don't do spring football. Well, here you can have football year-round. So that that's my – Anti 118 degree pitcher. <laughs> there it <laughs> is. <laughs> Antonio, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Forks up. Antonio Pierce, Arizona State assistant, <laughs> associate head coach, co defensive coordinator. PK, the hottest but, game was 108. What are you whining about? <laughs> 108. <laughs> That's one game. I know. Come on. To make men out of you. But he talked about how he wants guys who pissed off. Well, yeah. I mean, he wants Johnny's. Well, go look at uh, Oregon's leading receiver, Johnny uh, Johnson. Yeah, well, yeah, he's from Arizona. And the quarterback that they're going to have this year, who's likely going to be starting, is from Arizona. And they just got a commitment from a quarterback in Arizona. And then the top lineman in the state just committed to Oregon. So... Yeah, it's an issue, man. It's a big-time issue. And they can get all the kids they want from Ohio and California and the, but because they, they have to because I actually think that those kids don't realize how blazing hot it is until they get there, and uh, it's exciting for them. But uh, 
It's, it was an issue. It's been an issue for years, and they're going to have to confront it. And maybe this is the staff that can get them over the hump. I mean, we shall see because you look at all the projections that people have, you know, the football index and whatnot, and it's all six and six, maybe seven and five, four and five, five and four. It's the third year. you got to get going. you got to take that next step because they've had a slew of coaches who have proven that they can go six and six and seven and five, but can they go ten and two more than once? They've also proven they can do that, but can they do it more than once? Well, Northern Arizona and UNLV, and then BYU and USC. Look out. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. You know, finally, PK and I agree on something. Saved by the Bell, the greatest sitcom of all time. There's Jill weighing in. It is time now for the feedback of the day. Brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Told you, told you, told you. Yeah, you're wrong. You're not. (laughs) You are wrong. And they're coming. How many shows come back? They get prime time, and then years later, they come back. Winner, 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 winner. CP at three putt, four, one over. I learned today that according to PK and his competitive nature, he's the MJ of Sports Talk Radio. Uh, You stretch that, but if that's what you want to think, that's your call. I think you have to be cold-hearted, man. Uh, I'm not that way anymore, uh, but I think you have to be that way on your way up. You're not going to look out for you. Who's going to look out for you, man? And you've got to view the world as in your way, and you've got to overcome because you're going to give me, you are going to be set back a thousand times over, man. I mean, come on. What did I tweet you last night when they showed the uh, Bulls and uh, Seattle on Father's Day? I texted. Oh, you, you texted me the headline about uh, yeah. the tie. Yeah, the Bulls, Bulls don't, don't want, want tie. Father's Day. Bulls don't want tie on Father's Day. Uh, Good headline, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) And I wrote that headline on a Saturday for the Sunday preview because it was uh, the Bulls. uh, Seattle had a chance to go 3-3 in the series, and it was being played on Father's Day. And we know Jordan cried afterward because of the death of his father after they won the game. And that's what I put on the headline. And come in Monday morning and see it right there because they they put a printout, a critique of all the paper of the weekend papers, as they did every day, but on Monday it would be the two Saturdays and Sundays. And I see this headline attributed to somebody else because somebody told the editor, well, that was the other guy who did it. Yeah, because he's more creative. That was the message, and that was the message that was intended. That, oh, it couldn't have been PK because he's not that good. Come on. DJ PK, we are out of here. Scotty and Hans coming up next.